So I have to start off today's episode thanking YouTube and the algorithm that pushed my current guests' videos into my feed one morning over coffee. Uh, it's my morning ritual to uh, pop my vitamins, drink my smoothie, and sip on coffee while watching uh, videos related to everything guitar. Uh, repairs, uh, modifications, uh, the newest reviews on the newest instruments, uh, etc. Well, Steve Roy and his YouTube channel, Manatix Stringworks, uh, popped into my feed one morning, and I noticed right away that he had an uh, informed, caring approach to his repairs and modifications. Uh, I was immediately hooked, subscribed to his channel, and have continued to enjoy his videos. He has his uh, workshop out of Ottawa, Canada, in the uh, Manatic region of Ottawa, uh, the country's capital city. I knew right away that I needed to reach out to Steve and uh, see if he wanted to be a guest on my podcast, and uh, he was immediate with his response. And I was uh, happy to uh, speak with him. Uh, so without further ado, uh, Steve Roy from Manatic Stringworks. <laughs> Hello, Steve. Patrick, how are you? Good. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. Well, it's an uh, honor to be asked. That's great. That's fun. <laughs> well, your video channel has some following. You've got some people that watch your movies. I, I was checking the ranking of your videos, and your most popular is setting up a floating trim on a Stratocaster, and that's a two-parter. Yeah, I've been, it's funny. You, uh, you know, I've done, geez, couple of hundred videos if not more i'm like a 250 maybe and you see which ones trend right over time yeah and like fender stuff everyone loves fender stuff right <laughs> so they're yeah. they're always there but you know they're really basic things like how to set up your you know your fender stratocaster how to set up your telecaster those seem to be things that people really want to you know view of course right mm. so many niche guitars out there but for the most part, probably 75% of people are playing either a Fender or Gibson or a copy of, <laughs> of that, right? Despite and, having all these other manufacturers out there, they're still still playing Fender and Gibson style guitars, right? The base, the base designs, that's pretty much yeah. all of them. Well, Leo Fender got it right. Yes, he did. And I'm a huge ago, right? fanatic myself, so I completely agree with that. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, and I appreciate Les Pauls and Gibson products, you know, just like any other manufacturer, you know, that has good quality manufactured product out there. But there's just something about Fender that appeals to me. It's, I won't call it a working man's guitar, but it's a guitar that's meant to be played. It's meant to be fixed and meant to be played again. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I really like that about a guitar because so many times people are drawn to guitars that are pretty, right? Mm -hmm. They look really nice and they hang on the wall beautifully or, or they live in a case and they're never out there. So right. when I get a guitar on the workbench and I see that it's been well used, well played, loved, obviously, yeah, that's the kind of guitar I gravitate towards, and uh, you know whether it's a, a Fender or a Gibson or a PRS or whatever guitar, I just like seeing it being played 
you know, and if it just sits in a case because it's too precious to take mm -hmm. out, then why bother? It's like being a toy collector and having the Star Wars action figures still in the box. I mean, you bought yeah. it to play with it, you know. Exactly. I mean? Take them out, rub them up a little bit, you know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Especially exactly. a guitar, right? You want, hear it to, it for. <laughs> you want to hear it play, right? And that's, uh, and you know, okay, guitar doesn't play itself. So obviously a person plays it, a bass, a guitar, whatever. So it's really just going to become an extension of you, you know, whatever you're playing. So find that guitar or a couple of guitars that really speak to you. You know, they're comfortable in your hands. Whenever you play them, you know, it just feels so good. Things come out of you easily. Mm -hmm. And that's what you got to search for. You know, like having 40 guitars doesn't really do too much, right? If you're not playing them every day and you don't sing to you, right? Like that. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm no pro musician by any means. And mm -hmm. uh, I have a lot of friends who are. And they generally have three or four guitars. You know, and that's it. Mm -hmm. They've had lots of guitars over the years, like all of us have had <laughs> of course yeah, right but they have you know three or four guitars and two they play all the time you know they gig with sure. let's say all the time you know and a couple more maybe they record with a little bit more often but they always gravitate towards those two you know those two guitars that feel great in their hands absolutely yeah and so i think that's more important right so if you're really going to get into guitars and you like playing uh, find a couple of guitars that really feel good to you and Mm -hmm. play the heck out of them yeah and so being a fender guy uh, and and a musician yourself you said in your bio that you sent um do you is your collection a majority fender yeah so i'm mostly a bass player i mean that's what oh, I, okay. I yeah that's what i started with in 1980 you know in grade seven my first bass that i bought and it was a jazz bass copy a korean copy at the time and i had that bass for almost 20 years and actually modded the hell out of that thing. Okay, cool. <laughs> at the end, it, it became a fretless bass at the end. Uh, I took all did the frets. Did you do that up. modification yourself? Yeah, I did that, yeah. You know, that's great that you bring that up, and I, I hate to interrupt the story, no, but I have a client that's asking me to convert his Sterling uh, right. to a, a fretless, and I uh, did some investigative work. It's not as difficult as it, as it was... No. No. Well, it was for me back in the day because there were no YouTube videos, right? Or oh, yeah, I know. Oh, it was terrible, right? No instructional guides or someone you could just call up unless you knew somebody, right? But, it was, you know, when I first started playing, you know, in grade seven, when I was like 12 years old, and that first bass I had, I remember, when I think back to that bass, like the setup was horrible. Like it was just yeah. brutal, and I yeah. probably didn't even—I didn't even know what to do with it, right? And sure. so I played that bass the way it was the day just I got it. Through. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know, high action and yeah. change of seasons, whatever. You know, I just change the strings every once in a while, and you know, yeah. for at least seven, eight years, right up through college, I just played the heck out of that thing, and I, I had no idea what to do with it. Setup, what was that, right? Yeah, right. And then when I started to change things on that bass in particular. Then I started to realize, oh, hold on, I can adjust the bridge and, you know, the neck relief with the truss rod and, oh, my God. It's <laughs> so much easier as a player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that that was a, you know, the voyage of discovery, right, in the sense to say, oh, wow, I've spent eight years playing this beast and yeah. it could have been better. <laughs> it could have been a lot easier. And I started buying more basses. I, I got some more money and I was playing gigs with bands and stuff. So, you know, I got to 
to play around with other designs, right? Other than just like a jazz bass. So sure. yeah, so it was it was interesting. So that bass stayed with me for years. It was in the closet for a long time. And uh, I remember uh, my wife uh, one day, she says, you haven't taken that old bass out in a long time. I said, you're right. And it was a really like uh, sky blue paint finish on huh? maple fingerboard with inlays. So I took it out of the closet and I'm looking at it. I had three or four other bases, you know, in, in, since that time. And they're sitting there too. I said, what am I going to do with this thing? Let's make it a fretless. Right? So, you know, just spur of the moment, got some pliers out and just started yanking the frets out and, uh, you know, trying not to damage anything too much. It was, it was sure. pretty relatively successful. Sure. I got some thin veneer at the time and I was able to glue it in there and worked as a fretless base. And the so veneer pretty, you made sure was a good contrast so you could see the... Yeah, I think it was a walnut, uh, the only oh, veneer I could get, you know, at the local hardware store back in the day was a walnut, which was nice. It was a maple fingerboard, so he had a nice contrast. So it mm -hmm. looked like frets in a sense, right? You could mm -hmm. see them. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, you, you learn as you go. And uh, I've become my, you know, over the last 30 years, I'm more of a, I would call myself more of a woodworker. Okay. <laughs> You know, okay. I've renovated three and four homes with my wife. I've oh, nice. all kinds of restorations and things. So I have all the tools, you know, like I, for woodworking and shop, shop stuff. So I've done a lot of woodworking over the years. So later in life now, like to me, working on guitars, is more of a natural extension of taking some of those skills that I have and applying them in a more fine sort of way, right? And the fine woodworking skills mm -hmm. and specific ones to guitars. Mm -hmm. It's not just pure woodworking, obviously, uh, dealing with guitars, but, you know, it's just an extension of what I like to do anyways. So now it's fun for me over the last seven, eight years, especially to yeah. be pretty much working exclusively on guitars and guitar repair and things like that. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned woodworking because this client uh, reached out to me asking to go fretless. I was at first I wanted to say no, I don't have the capabilities to do that. It just seemed and I've only been doing like you I've been playing since 1977. Seriously since the 80s. Yeah. Um, and my first guitar is a Sears, a Sears right. Paul copy. Um, probably made by Silvertone, but they didn't put the name on it. Right. Uh, and yeah, like you, I struggled with high action. I didn't know how to adjust it. Little did I know I was, you know, really working these finger muscles with that high action. So well, you're was, making them strong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then one day I called in sick from school and I just sat there and I took the guitar apart, took everything off of it, including right. the neck and, uh, really, really worried. I wasn't going to be able to get it back together again. And sure enough, you do. And it's like, wow, okay, my confidence just went up tenfold. I can do this. It's not going to break it. Um, right. And right. then you start learning about adjusting and, and making it more comfortable. Yeah, but the start, back to the fretless bass, yeah. uh, you know, I started doing research, you know, like, like you mentioned before. And, of course, in my head, I'm thinking, how the hell did guys like Dan Earlwine or, you mm -hmm. know, the masters of back in the past yeah. pre-YouTube, how did they figure it out, right? You have to know somebody that knows somebody that's yeah. willing to take a phone call. But I ended up buying a chisel set for this guy's, you know, because you're, yeah. you have to get those veneers. Yeah. You know? So it's just, it's this layered onion of discovery and confidence building 
and uh, it's really fun. It's really fun. Well, it's the, the cloak of mystery, right? Uh, around yeah. any trade, uh, you know, that people take on, and where you have, you know, I like I liken it, uh, you know, when you're doing apprenticeship and that, right, where you you learn from someone or other skilled tradespeople, craftsmen, and at the end of it all you realize that, yeah, there's no real mystery to this, right? But mm -hmm. it's just knowledge and gaining knowledge and experience. And, you know, yeah, I've screwed up stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Of course I've screwed up stuff. Drilled through yeah. fretboards. You know? your own guitar. Yeah, exactly. Like it, very few mistakes on the other people's guitars, thankfully. But, yeah, it, you know, you go out and you buy a beater and you just start yeah. playing around with it, right? I mean, that's that's the biggest advice I've always given people. That's what I did, you know, just started mm -hmm. buying a whole bunch of use guitars, kit guitars, stuff like that. You just start playing around with them and figure out what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I know a truss rod is one of these things that there's this crazy mystery around a truss rod and, ooh, don't touch the truss rod or we can't move it. Move it a quarter turn, let it sit for a week, then come back. <laughs> and, you know, like right. all this stuff. I remember when I was first, uh, you know, really getting into like service tech and repair and that. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like you can't have something in there that you can barely touch and adjust and you have to sit around and wait and you're worried about it. I mean, obviously you're not gonna crank on the thing, right? But it's just like, wow, that's just a mystery, right? It's wow. just, that's yeah. just not how it works. Right. And then when you're comfortable, then all of a sudden you master the truss rod, right? right. It's just, oh, well, yeah, okay, this, this makes total sense, right? Absolutely. And yeah, that first time that you do it and you hear that click in there, <laughs> oh, God, I've broken it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's the never going to be the same. Some guy's new guitar, right? And he's like, why is this? Oh, there's still glued in there. <laughs> you got to crack <laughs> that glue, right? Uh, yeah. I had a client, uh, he brought he brought a uh, from a bass guitar as a Fender, uh, Fender Jaguar bass off the right. wall from a big box store, local big box store. Right. And uh, he he wanted it set up, and uh, I was like, "Great, let's do it." I go into I look at the neck. The neck's it's got a little bit of a bow in there. Let's give the truss rod a bit of adjustment, and which is the first thing I do before I take off the strings. The first thing you do, yeah, yeah. And suddenly I find out that it doesn't have the end pin on the end of the truss rod. Oh, uh, apparently, someone had cranked on it and popped it off. Snapped it. Yeah. Uh, the best I could tell the client because that's an exploration and. Maybe you've done it where you peel off the fingerboard, mm. uh, replace the truss rod altogether. But I obviously don't have that capability. And I told the guy, look, this neck is a fender neck. It's a baseball bat. It's not going to warp over time. Uh, yeah. For one, I'd go get my money back from this big box store because I sold you a piece of crap. Yeah. Yeah, you know? exactly. But thankfully, it's okay for now. It's probably got years of being okay. We're in the right humidity, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But just know that it, you know, I can't do it. You're probably fine. Um, do you find bass necks to be a lot more forgiving than guitar necks for that reason? Actually, I, I find bass necks to be more troublesome. Because, oh, yeah, it, it's a bigger, it's a longer neck. You know, okay. more string tension on. Sure. The, you know, even though those four strings are big, thick strings. Yeah. Uh, and I find the quality of the necks vary greatly. You'll get a lot of like soft, I'll call them, you know, soft maples <laughs> instead oh. of like a really good hard stiff maple in there. Okay. okay. So, uh, yeah, it can be a little troublesome. And you'll see a lot of manufacturers, of course, especially the overseas ones who've done, you know, they do multi-laminated multi -laminated necks, of course, right, to try and avoid that issue. So they want a thinner neck, thinner neck profile. So you laminate the necks. 
get them a little stiffer, and generally that that helps out. But I find there some of the cheaper, uh, you know, less expensive bases out there with single piece maple necks. Mm. That's when you can get into some bowing issues that uh, you can't fix, or you really have to get into a heat treatment sort of scenario. Uh, I find it more often, like I said, with the base, just because just more tension. And for some reason, bass players don't like taking care of their guitars <laughs> as much as guitarists do. You know? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. This client brought it in, and he had stickers all over it, and, and uh, <laughs> the nut was broken. Right. And, and he's like, yeah, but it plays. And there was like four different <laughs> kinds of screws holding in the input jack. And I'm like, do you want me to replace it? No, no, it's fine. It works. I don't need it. You know, <laughs> wow, really? Okay. Well, again, it comes back to if you're comfortable and you like the way it sounds. And well, there you go. Play, hey, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to look pretty. It just has Absolutely. to sound great. You have to sound great playing, right? So yes. Whatever it is, right? It could be a cigar then, box uh, type of there thing. There you go. And Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstein is a, is a prime yeah. example yeah, of a so. piece of crap guitar just jerry-rigged. Yeah. And it and the stuff that he performed on that guitar is unprecedented. No, for <laughs> sure. For sure. It's funny you mentioned like all the different things that you find when you receive a guitar in there, right? And one of the things I hate the most, or I'm, I'm always worried about, is that brand new guitar oh. you know, right from the big box store or a nice boutique shop or something like that. Yeah. And it's the first time anyone's touched it, right? Yeah. I'm always looking at it going, hmm. What what kind of customer is this? <laughs> yeah, right. Is this someone who's going to look at his guitar afterwards and go, "That little tiny, you know, yeah. stuff wasn't there," or I'm sure that there was a there was no scratches. Like every time I get a brand new one, I said, "I might scuff this up somewhere a little <laughs> bit. I'm not going to scratch it and dang it or do anything like that." But sure. it it's going to get touched. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Back, are you okay with that? You know, <laughs> most of the time. Oh yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's brand new. I know it's going to get dinged up anyways or whatever. But it's just, it's just funny. You get those, and then you get the other ones that come in with, like you say, screws and stickers and all this. And you go, yeah, I could drop that off the bench, and you no, won't even notice. Not. <laughs> I could not improve the plane. Yeah, exactly. Get it right back in alignment. You know, that's right. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, uh, well, you know, that kind of reminds me of, of those guys that have a several thousand dollar guitar and he wanted he wanted the uh, Floyd Rose set up. Oh, no, and, don't talk to me about Floyd Roses. Oh, it's the worst. But I'm telling you, if you can master it, half your clientele are people with Floyd Roses. Yep, you know? I know. Oh, and I have the drop E tuning mechanism on there, too. Yeah, yeah. So well, was, it an EV, was it an EVH guitar? One of yes, the it was. Yeah, yeah, with the little drop D thing. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, uh, and it's a beautiful guitar. I was yeah. actually really impressed with well the built. mechanism and and the machinery and the quality of the build. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he ended up taking it home, and he said, "Patrick, one of the strings is catching on the fret." And he brought it back to me, and sure enough, the he because he does these wild bends where i don't know why as a player personally i've been the high e going up i've yep. never rattled it going <laughs> down but it popped off and caught the fret at the ninth fret and and we flipped it over and we're looking at the side the fingerboard and yeah sure enough at the seventh and the ninth are these little gaps that aren't completely filled in on the binding and it's this three thousand dollar guitar and I, I hated breaking the news to him but yeah. You know, this is really a quality build now that I'm looking, you know, at this, which I didn't notice before. Um, so I'm always hoping that the client doesn't find things that I didn't see before. And I guess yeah. it happens. 
things. You know? Well, yeah, it happens. And like I said, I've never really had a bad experience with anyone. You know, like when I, you know, text them or call them and say, hey, you know, I noticed something on your guitar. Yeah. And they're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Right. And yeah. they're usually happy that you did notice something or whatever. Or even, <laughs> funny, I had a, someone come in just uh, a month ago and um he brought an acoustic in it was in the case and he brings it in and said oh yeah i haven't played this in i don't know like two years it's been sitting there in the in the closet so i pulled it out the other night i tuned it up but it just sounded bad like thumpy the you know the the bass string the e string was just terrible and i said okay well you know maybe there's a bad fret or you know the strings are old or rusty i could see so i pulled the, the guitar out of the case and right away i looked out the bridge and the bridge had lifted up so the back of the bridge was up like that and i i look at it and i go oh i said did you notice that the bridge is lifting off the bottom? and he looks at it and goes oh my god i didn't notice <laughs> so he didn't notice right that the bridge right. lifting yeah. off so i glued it back on for him but it was just like that's just one of those things right like you hope that i had noticed that too right before he dropped it or just leaves the case there it's all you know just give it a restring and a setup sure. and then you yeah. open it a week yeah. later and you're going oh shit <laughs> and don't you feel like the auto mechanic that calls the people going you know because these people don't realize um and i'm not selling you up on this or anything but it really does need this if you want it to be playable you know? no exactly and you know like you're trying to you're trying to help people out right because i don't want to give them back a guitar that i know is not going to play well right and and hey everyone's got their likes as far as a setup and you know generally most people will go with what i give them as a setup which is usually close to whatever the standard specs are for like a gibson or a fender or a prs maybe a few little tweaks here and there but you know the odd time you get someone in who says oh i need this thing to be like a shredder it's got to be right down to nothing and yeah. and you're looking at the guitar and it's it's a strap uh -huh. like, well i can't get that down to nothing yeah you won't be able to play it everything's gonna buzz out it's gonna be nuts right yeah no no it's gotta be low it's gotta be low i don't care and so you you drop it down to like 364 or something like that and you just it's buzzing and it's just not playing well you, he comes and picks it up and goes oh it sounds great thanks man you know like and, thank goodness <laughs> don't tell anyone. that's right exactly <laughs> yeah. oh, it's just like wow you know like i, I hey you know what? Go get yourself an Ibanez or uh, you know some a shredder, guitar. Or a shredder yeah. guitar for that kind of thing. But you mentioned tremolo, and that's like a bad word to mm -hmm. me, right? I, I, the Floyd Rose tremolo. Oh. I, I I don't understand them in the sense that I understand how they work. Yeah, but yeah. I don't understand them. Like why? What what is the use of a Floyd Rose tremolo? For an everyday guitarist, especially, and I can see as your your acts, you know, that you use the odd time for a, you know, what what do you need a Floyd Rose for? A dive bomb. That's yeah. that's basically all you need it for. Right. Uh, and you can do that with a Fender trim if you want, correct? Yeah. But it's just so complicated. Mm -hmm. So complicated. So what what bothers me more about it is that someone who is working in guitars knows how to set them up finds them difficult to work with and a mm -hmm. pain in the butt mm -hmm. how can you as a player enjoy that guitar yeah because as soon as it goes out of tune or something happens you just so don't, what what happens is you start yeah. messing it up more right right you're chasing your tail all the time because exactly. you're not doing things in the right order it's right. very difficult to right. do and if something you need a special tool you know mm -hmm. to intonate it and all this kind of thing 
-hmm. and you just end up with this mess right and then it shows up at your door mm -hmm. yeah you know like oh my god like fix it you know what that's gonna take me like four hours to fix mm -hmm. this like mm -hmm. you really want to spend yeah. that money you know and i'm always worried that the client's going to leave mess something up and think that their setup didn't leave the shop exactly so I literally you know of course you're you're I love your store or your shop. I like that. It's, <laughs> and you probably have an amplifier in there to plug it in. Do your clients stop by, plug it in, and you play it? And yeah, now it's leaving the shop. Yeah, whatever you're going to do to it later, obviously, please know that it it's leaving pristine and done. Yeah, to the best of my ability, especially those Van Halen detuners. Oh my God. Yeah, one of the first guitars I had to do uh, on my YouTube channel, one of my early uh, videos was one of those EVH with the D-tuners. Oh. So I, I wasn't experienced with it at all, but you know, I took the guitar and I said, yeah, sure, you know, why not? I'm going to try mm -hmm. it out and see what it's like. And it, that's mm -hmm. where my distaste for Floyd Rose started, I think, <laughs> that style of guitar. But, um, I, you know, I went on YouTube, tried to find a bunch of videos. There weren't a ton of videos, you know, look online and, you know, eventually found a few things and figured it out. But, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God, like even without all the research time and trying to do that, the next time one comes in and thankfully one hasn't come in to be honest it's just like wow like the amount of time so you know whatever you would charge somebody you know a reasonable amount to do a setup you're just going like i might have to charge you two or three times as much to do mm -hmm. the same thing that i do for a strat or you know telly mm -hmm. or les paul like it, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous right so it yeah. and it, if it if it's something you can't do at home Mm -hmm. And everything let's be fair i mean everything that we do for a setup most people could do it at home if they just had some time and some tools, right. a little yeah. bit of knowledge, just, you know, yeah. like anything. But a Floyd Rose, I'd say no. I'd yeah. say that you can't just do that at home. Mm -hmm. So that guitar, you got to hope, stays in tune, doesn't get touched, no one plays with it. You know, those fine tuner little knobs there at the on the bridge, yeah. you, don't, you know, go too far one way or the other, and then you can't get it back, you know. So it's just it's just a lot of complication. It is. Really and I hate no to say it, but it's it's kind of job security really for us because <laughs> they're so complicated that people don't. And I'm, that's, what's blowing my mind as I dove into this line of work is how many people don't feel like, you know, at every Floyd Rose that leaves, I have a dry marker board here and I draw on it for the customer. Okay. One, clip the end of your string off all the way, because if you leave that wind at the end, you're going to mess up that little block that's tenuously yeah holding that string in place, yeah. you know, and I give him this whole lecture and I actually left, it's a dry marker board, but I left the drawings up here because I've had to explain it three different times now to three different clients, yeah. you know, don't crank on that thing, the, the, the fine tuner, because you'll break that little lever holding it from popping out. You know, there's so much. I know. It's so complicated. It's over-engineered and it really is. You know, it's like, it's an engineer designed it instead of a guitar player. Guitar Garage Talk is brought to you by YourGuitarMechanic.com. Setups, repairs, restrings, and more. Whatever your guitar or bass needs, we can get it done. Offering pickup and delivery service in the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. YourGuitarMechanic.com. Now, back to the program. You know, yeah. like in that sense, uh, yeah. and you go, well, you know, you, you don't really need to do that. And let's come back to Fender again. 
Yeah. Leo Fender's <laughs> design, you know, 70 plus years ago, still yeah. stands the test of time from a yeah. Telecaster, which obviously doesn't have a floating trim or anything, but then the strap, you know, soon after the Tele. And that is a trim system that works. It's relatively simple, you know, to adjust, to float, if you want it to float or not. And to be honest, most people don't float them. They, they usually uh, hardtail them down or something like that. That's me. my experience. Yeah, I mean, most people don't float them because there is tuning stability issues when you when you float them. They'll stay tuned as you know much as possible, but they are going to move, right? It's a spring, mm -hmm. a few springs in there, mm -hmm. anyhow you play that kind of thing. Seasonal variations, right? But you know, if you hardtail them down and you still have an opportunity to uh, you know flatten out the strings a little bit when you play. That's a great, you know, that's a great feature. I right? am very much like a Bigsby in the sense that you really only have one way to go with it, but mm -hmm. it uh, it's a little more reliable <laughs> and easier than a Bigsby to sort of figure out, right? But the, you come back to the keep it simple, stupid idea of like what Leo Fender has done. You've designed a guitar that can be fixed, neck can be changed, body can be changed, all the componentry can be swapped out and you know from one guitar to the next, all new parts. Mm -hmm. And it's relatively easy to set up. Yeah. <laughs> so very yeah. so you can set it up yourself or learn how to maintain your guitar. And, and unless you have really major issues, you bring it to a tech or someone like that. Mm -hmm. But so why overcomplicate the guitar? Right, right. <laughs> Make it simple. Yeah. What was the quote that I saw the other day? It was a meme someone posted. It said uh over-engineering is, is a sign of laziness. You know, they, they keep creating this thing so you don't have to do this thing. And then right. there's another so you don't have to. Right. Well, how What's, many layers? Eh? It just builds up on top of each other until you can't even get back to what the original problem was anymore. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. What's the wildest repair that you've ever seen come through your shop? Like the, oh, my God, could I pull this off? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I this. I've had screws, you know, like like a Les Paul, where the neck is broken, and mm -hmm. someone is just not at the headstock. Believe oh, it. The headstock, but <laughs> it's broken. The yeah, broken right near the the body joint, Oof. and someone's just driven big long screws, like three inch uh, screws, into it. Three four screws right into the body. And uh, you know, brings it in and says, "Okay, well, I'm not sure. The tuning stability is not great. I know it's broken, but um, <laughs> tuning stability is not great, really." And uh, so, you know, I it was one of those you look at, and go, "Hmm, can I even fix that?" You know, like uh, so. I said, "Look, leave it with me, and let me see if I can get this apart cleanly and get mm. glue into this neck joint." And you know, put the screws out and all that. And I said, you don't mind if it's not pretty, I hope, right? No, <laughs> like, no, no, if it's not pretty, it's not pretty. You know, like, anyway, so I took the screws out. And fortunately enough, the break was pretty clean. You know, the fibers and all that sort of went back together nicely. Okay. So I was able to get a lot of glue in there and clamped it all down, got it and cleaned it all up. And I gave it back to him uh, and I offered to, you know, dowel in there, do some other things. And he said, oh no, glue it up. And if it works, it works, you know, and uh, I haven't heard back. So, so yeah, so screwless then. You took the screws out, filled I took it. the screws out. Yeah, mm -hmm. I actually plugged the holes, you know, I drilled them out, you know, put like, well, I can't remember if it was quarter inch dowels mm -hmm. or something. I just filled the, the screw holes in mm -hmm. and uh, then glued it all together, right? But, I, you know, it seemed to work. You know, what now, did you have to refinish and everything? 
I didn't refinish, and okay. I don't usually do refinishing. I'm not really set up for that. I don't have yeah. a spray booth and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But uh, the, I told the clients, look, I'm not going to refinish anything. I can give it a light sanding and a bit of a polishing and all that. You know, I'll try not to go through the finish, you know, like uh, two. And that's how I cleaned it up for them. You can still see the glue line and stuff. Is there a video for that repair? No, that was a few years ago. That was okay. before YouTube. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, wow. I don't know if I would have shown that on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have to get consent for any reason? No. Like, hey, no. don't show my guitar. Is that is that too weird to ask? I mean, no, I've never had an issue. I mean, mo to be honest, these days, most of my clients locally here in in the Ottawa area. Um, they all know that I'm on YouTube and oh, I saw your videos, you know, like, and they oh. call me up and they either, you know, either get uh, my email from uh, the website and that kind of thing. So most of the people know that it's on YouTube and they're happy when they see their guitars. on. I never mention people's names or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I usually try and block out the serial number. Mm -hmm. Whether that does anything or not, <laughs> I guess you could get someone well, that's, saying, a good hey, that's my guitar, you know, like mm -hmm. from 10 years ago that got stolen. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Is and Manatic is Manatic Stringworks is yeah. your is your company and it's the name of your channel. Yeah. And I always wondered what Manatic meant, but it's a suburb of Ottawa. Yeah. So Manatic is a town just uh, south of Ottawa. So Ottawa is the nation's capital here in Canada. It's about uh, you know 20 25 minute drive from uh, downtown Ottawa. It's on the Rideau River Canal system, and it's uh, Manatic is a town that was a village that was founded. I, I believe in 1860, 1850, oh, wow. yeah, That's a long cool. time ago. It's Where a grist mill, so a flour mill was set up right on the river, right mm. here in Manatic. And it became a center for, you know, local business and trade and things like mm -hmm. that. But it's still a very small town. I mean, it's maybe about uh, 10,000 people in the okay. area around. But it's a rural, it's it's rural, suburban, you know, sort of a mix now, of course, with every everything being built up all around and everything like sure. that. But it's a nice little town and we enjoy it. We moved here in 1999 from Montreal. I grew up in Montreal, Quebec. Love Montreal. Yeah. I actually just uh, visited, uh, we went to the Montreal Jazz Festival. Oh, awesome. Yeah. What a great time. Oh yeah, God. we saw George Benson uh, at a really beautiful theater. I had to see George Benson, the guy. Yeah. He does like three shows a year, and you know, uh, John Schofield played. Oh, uh, good, amazing, amazing stuff. I'm yeah. a jazz geek, so. Oh, good, good. I went for all the jazz. Yeah, well, I grew up in Montreal, and uh, I Beautiful went to Jazz Fest every summer, and you know, hundred thousand people out in the streets in downtown Montreal. Pat Metheny playing, you know, like oh, uh, just. Yeah just crazy and packed like sardines just downtown streets right it's just amazing so yeah jazz fest uh, it's it's quite a scene in montreal so oh, it's like two weeks long i mean it's yeah. insane no, and everyone goes like you say i mean george benson only plays a few shows a year and one of them is in montreal right like they gave him the honorary uh the the uh the coordinator of the event the longtime coordinator guy came out on stage and they gave him an honorary award for being the ambassador of the Montreal Jazz Festival. Awesome. It was really moving. Very yeah. touching. And I felt bad because George uh, apparently a couple of years ago fell and hurt his shoulder, his apparently his right arm. Oh, so he doesn't play that often anymore. He does a lot more singing and he lets the band, his guitarist, longtime guitarist, uh, filled in nicely for a lot of the Benson. Right. right. Um, but, you know, when it came to Breezin and stuff like that, right. George strapped it on and he did the riff and it was awesome. Oh, that's I mean, great. 
Yeah, awesome show. And, well, and you, have to, you have to honor these guys, right? And, and oh. women, you know, of the day who are still around and uh, they laid the foundation yeah. for all the music. I mean, I mean, I hate sounding like an old guy or something, right? But I mean, really, is there any other music that, other than the 60s and 70s that has been so creative and has given okay. us so much? Absolutely true. And, you know, all the music today draws from that. I mean, I'm not even talking about just sampling from it. <laughs> People yeah. just straight yeah. on sampling from the music. Yeah, It's really, it's very hard to find music today that is so innovative mm -hmm. and different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as all that music was at the time because every band everyone was different the new stuff was coming out all i guess you know it's all a new genre i guess and it's all exciting and all that from the yeah. 60s you know 50s the yeah but it's it's a shame that we don't see that same innovation i think today right it's, it's unfortunate and then the heart and the soul is being yeah. stripped away and really i think that's kind of why i gravitate towards jazz because it's one of the few genres that still kind of holds true to the musician mm -hmm. playing the instrument uh, turn on the recorder and we've got it we've got a cut instead of the let's hop it into pro tools let's yes. over harmonize and digitize the vocals to to hit the range uh, i think that's probably why i'm still gravitating towards classical and jazz is for that purest purest well, what's nice about jazz too is that jazz does not have to be innovative as well in the sense that you don't have to have something completely new every time because mm -hmm. this the book of standards in jazz is so extensive right. that you can pull out a, you know something from uh, 1948 mm -hmm. you know, and and play it today yep. in your version of it the way you want to interpret it and do it and it sounds great absolutely. even though it's an old song you know or it was written 60 70 80 years ago absolutely you can still interpret it today and it still seems new and fresh as a, as a bass player, Steve, who do you uh, do? You, do you still try and find time to play? Is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We I'm in a band. We gig two, three times, well, two times a month at least. Uh, we keep playing around bars and clubs here in, in the Ottawa area. What George genre does your band do? So this band that I'm in now is uh, mostly classic rock, of course, and uh, actually a nod to the Rolling Stones a lot because uh, during COVID, uh, when Charlie Watts died, yeah. Um, couple of my buddies uh, called me up and said, hey, we're going to put together a little Stonesy sort of tribute. Um, are you interested in playing bass? And I said, yeah, great, of course. You know, So five of us got together one night and uh, just started playing. Awesome. And yeah, that was uh, three years ago. So we've been uh, playing ever since. And yeah, it's a lot of Stones, like Stones heavy sort of set list, but sure. classic rock, right? The early awesome. 70s type of stuff. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Who are your influences on bass now, if you look back? Well, I mean, totally John Entwistle and the Who. Like, oh, I, was, yeah. I was a Who fanatic. Um, yeah. John Paul Jones was Zeppelin, of course. Absolutely. You know, like, there, there was, I was into rock, you know, the classic rock. You know, now it's classic rock, but the rock of the day. Right. Uh, you know, Pink Floyd, not so much for the bass playing, but just the music yeah. itself. Right? I love Pink Floyd. You know, the Who, Rolling Stones, yeah, a little bit. I appreciate them more now, I think, than I did sure. when I was younger. Sure. But, yeah, I liked a lot of their stuff. The Doors I used to love listening to as well. Absolutely. So, as a kid, right? It was just such good music. And actually really good bass playing on a lot of those songs, even though they didn't have a bass player, right? They always had a session player. Well, Larry Carlton. And and that's interesting you mentioned that because I'm a huge Carlton fan. And when mm -hmm. I found out back in the day that Larry Carlton, you know, Roadhouse Blues and 
he was the session guy in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, I'm a huge Steely Dan fan too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. Uh, Well, then I, and then I uh, saw recently a video of Larry Carlton at NAMM and he's uh, touting this uh, 335, a company that's made a 335 kind of guitar with his signature on it. Yeah. And he, uh, he actually jokingly says, you know, I came out of retirement to show up here today. And of course, everyone's got their phones recording him, and he does uh, smiles and smiles to go uh, his, Mm -hmm. his, you know, number one tune that we all know. And, uh, and and I went, Oh my God, really? He's going to retire. And it's like the George Benson thing. And I found out that one of five shows this year, will be in Virginia at the Norfolk Jazz Festival. Oh, yeah. There you go. So I'm, I'm actually going to go just so I can see Larry Carlton. Perfect. Before yeah. it's too late, you know? Yeah, no kidding. Oh, you know, that, that Steely Dan, you mentioned Steely Dan. I had an opportunity, like, I think it was three years ago. So Syracuse, New York, isn't too far from Ottawa. It's about a three-hour drive. We're about three hours north of Syracuse here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Steely Dan was going to play at a university amphitheater, an outdoor amphitheater. Nice. And my wife and I were all set to get tickets and go. And then sort of last minute, something came up and we oh. couldn't head out there. It's like, ah, you know, we'll get them the next time, right? They come around. Oh. They're not Steely Dan anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, and Michael well, Brecker has since passed. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, oh, no, you know, like, so it's still Steely Dan. It's just like Absolutely. Eagles or Silly Eagles. Actually, they're touring together, right? The Eagles yes, and Steely are. Dan right now. Like, yeah. Know, so I'm sure it'd be an amazing show. Well, you know, Steve, it's funny that we're talking about Steely Dan because literally the next month after Montreal, uh, my wife and I are in Manhattan. She she had some business there and I went and visited her and uh, we go to this deli in uh, literally a couple blocks from the park. And uh, I see this guy, raggedy looking guys crossing the street and he comes into the deli. This is after the lunch rush. Right. And uh, so it's pretty empty. And uh, it's Donald Fagan. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, my God. And, and he's sitting two tables behind my wife. The, the restaurant's empty. And I'm like, Leisha, I can't tell if that's Donald Fagan or not because his back is turned to me. And I asked the manager, I said, hey, excuse me, is that Donald Fagan over there? And he's like, I don't know. The manager walks over to the <laughs> table. He's like, is everything OK, sir? OK. He's like a rearranging silverware that doesn't yeah. yeah. He comes back and he's like, I think it is. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I got up the nerve and I went, look, and all you can really do is just thank him for all the, all the great music. Yeah. Okay. That was, was a stuttering fanboy interrupting his lunch. <laughs> you know, thankfully he was on his phone scrolling and his yeah. he was sitting there getting cold and his matzo ball soup. But uh, wow, that was, and I had, yeah. and of course my wife is from South America. She doesn't know Steely Dan didn't grow okay. up. I, and I gave her the entire history, and I said, "Look, mus- you know, they didn't go out to ask musicians. Musicians asked to be on Steely Dan. I wanted to, yeah, for sure. I mean, Donald Fagan is like uh, one of the one of the greats for sure. It's a great, great, great experience, and well, only in Manhattan. Well, so many studio musicians uh, go unsung, right? You know, they're unheard of. Nobody knows who they were, or they, you know, they're credited on an album, but you know, no one knows who they are or what they did really." But Steely Dan, I think, because their whole focus was bringing in studio musicians, the best studio musicians, the right studio musicians for the song, and each song, right, too, it's not even just like an album in in a lot of cases. Uh, I think it really highlighted the work, right, that session musicians were doing. And 
you know, you had Muscle Shoals, we had the Wrecking Crew, and you know, that kind of stuff that people knew about. But yeah. Steely Dan, I think, really brought it to the fore where he started to recognize that, yeah, there's people in this industry who keep it moving, you know, keep it chugging along. They're 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 playing on these albums, they're helping out, you know, all, all kinds of bands, singers, you know, like, hey, a vocalist, someone who's just a singer, they need a band, right? And there's your session guys who come in and play and rip out an album like that for them. And yeah, pretty amazing. A lot of bands too, you session musicians that you didn't think did, like Aerosmith and apparently uh in the 70s, the late 70s, early 80s, Very didn't, point. Play. didn't play on their albums because they're, well, a lot of them couldn't play because of their <laughs> intoxication yeah, or other yeah, issues, exactly. right? But uh, they just weren't that good, you know? Yeah, so the yeah. record companies would bring in the session players just to do the work. You know, they'd yeah. go out on tour, obviously, but they'd do the work in the studio for them. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think guys like Steely Dan, you if you were a session guy and you went in and did five takes of, one song and they ended up choosing this other drummer i think the session musicians knew that was going to happen with steely dan and they, they didn't care as long as i got to sit in yep. do my thing and hey there's you know steve gadd on drums over here and there's donald fagan and you know i think they had the you know the the metal to say I, whatever man i got to be within this you know, they called me in, which is an honor. Well, and, exactly. And that's the thing, right? That, that experience, the pinnacle of, you know, pop rock music, let's say, right. That you were actually being called by them to, to play, right. Yeah. Do you watch uh, Tim Pierce at all on YouTube? Are you, uh, Tim Pierce is a session guy from the seventies. Oh, and 80s the guitar player too. Yes, yeah. yes. He's so good. Like he's oh, just phenomenal stories, the stories he's got, the experience he got, his demeanor, you know, he's, yeah. he comes across really friendly and open and you know, he's super talented. Like, Oh my yeah. God. Like he's, he's got the wall of amplifiers behind. Yeah. He's him. got his little pod almost yeah. right in his living yeah. room. that's set up like that. And, but well, he's okay. just so good and he's so easy to listen to and watch. And, you know, like I said, even though I'm not a, mainly guitar player i'm a bass player i love watching him because he's just he's so good informative right he's got so much history behind him and these are the guys right to celebrate yeah. and and think yeah. about and I'm, I'm glad we're youtube channels like rick beato if you watch rick beato at well, that's all that's how i found tim pierce was through rick beato yeah and you know these guys are really bringing back or Bring to the fore. the fire alive. The yeah, fire. exactly. And oh, all this good. music, right? That is so yeah. good from what we grew up with, listening yeah. even before us when we were younger. Uh, all this music can't just go away, right? It can't just die. It has to come out there. And I think YouTube is, is a good way for people to to find this kind of music, you know, rediscover it or discover it for the you know, a kid's a kid, right? A 15 yeah. year old kid will never have heard of Steely Dan as an example, unless their parents, excuse me, a neighbor, an uncle, or something but if he stumbles on it on youtube that's amazing right suddenly he's listening to asia and, and really digging it and, exactly. and then you do those deep dives no. oh well then asia would be pretzel logic and then royal scam and you know oh and then there's larry carlton wow i love that guitar solo on ricky don't lose that number or whatever and <laughs> exactly. look up larry carlton and suddenly you're you know that's i mean that's how it all started with us too i mean yeah. no you, you got you got a record from a friend you yep. passed it on to another friend. He gave you another record to listen to, and all yep. of a sudden, you know, like you're. Then you went out and bought that record because you really liked it, and then, then you had cassettes and you copied them all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and, and as a player, I'd have to say Jeff Beck was the guy that blew my mind open. It was like, oh, wow, what is? It was uh, came on the radio, FM radio, and it was Freeway Jam by Jeff Beck. Right. 
right? I mean, I was into Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath, right. yeah. you know, and it, what is going on here? And then suddenly it's Jeff Beck played with the Yarbirds. He played, and then, you know, yeah. the family well, tree is many branches, but there's always these connections. You know, it's it's really fun. Really fun. fun for sure. Uh, Steve, uh, back to guitar repair, if you don't mind. Yes. <laughs> uh, and and I, and you already answered the question that I have on my list here. Your preference of you'd say Fenders are your favorite guitars just because they're yeah working friendly from a tech from a tech perspective. They're easy to work on. You know, they're they're simple. They're straightforward. They make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, ultimately, repairable. Mm -hmm. Very rarely can you say sorry. I can't repair that. You know, like mm -hmm. uh, you can you will either change a part or whatever and modifications you can mod them relatively easily as well right which is mm -hmm. nice um mm -hmm. I, I don't know i mean there's so many good guitars out there i mean you know if you were stuck on a desert island and you mm -hmm. only have, to have one guitar mm -hmm. I, you know I, i'd waffle between a telly and a strap and only because of the tremolo <laughs> because I would say, well, maybe the trim would give well, you an issue, wins. right? Yeah. You know, like a, if you're alone on an island somewhere and you only had one guitar, so the telly would probably win, right? Because yeah. it's it's the simplest, indestructible, right? A yeah. telly it is a telly. Yeah, it's so that would probably be the one, right? Although the strap would be post number two, right behind it, right? Right, right. You know, because the, of the voicings of the strat, that's what attracts me, the different voicings. Yeah, and especially in an HSS, right? The setup yeah. when you have the humbucker and two single coils, that really. opens up the strat even more, awesome. I find, right? So it really gives you just a little extra. And if you even change the switches too, right? You can go to, uh, you know, there's 10-way switches now that you can get on the strats. You do a Gilmore mod, which I've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah pull, push, pull, all kinds of stuff. So. I'm, I'm a big fan of like the modifications that I like are ones that are not apparent. They're just hidden in the sense that, you know, you, you've changed, like here, an example, you start at the headstock, you know, you put locking tuners. Not that I'm 100% a fan of locking tuners, but there's a, there's a mod there or a better set of tuners, right? Mm -hmm. Just a, a better quality of tuner. Mm -hmm. you know, change the nut to a mm -hmm. you know, tech or a bone nut or mm -hmm. something like that. You know, you move down the fretboard and then your pickups, you know, maybe you change your pickups out from what are there. The electronics put in nicer pots, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. change the switch, the bridge, you know, maybe the bridge, you can find a different bridge. It's all invisible mods. All invisible. You don't see yeah. it. You've right. just upgraded or, and I wouldn't even say upgrade in a lot of cases, sometimes just changing, right? You just feel mm -hmm. that, you know, I think I need something a little different on this guitar to make mm -hmm. it sound a little better. Mm -hmm. These little mods, I think, are more important because people get hung up on modifications. You know, ah. they, they just think that, oh, if I do that to my guitar, right. it change everything, right? Yeah. And then they do it, and it's like, oh, you know, like, it doesn't really sound any different or play any uh, different. Uh -huh. I'm the last guy you want to ask about pickups because, you know, someone says, oh, should I put this pickup in my, you know, my guitar? And I'm thinking uh -huh. of changing to a, a vintage style. And I said, you know what? Don't ask me. Because it's a personal preference. Everyone hears differently. Yeah. And I've hey it's subjective. Yeah, it's totally subjective. Mm -hmm. I've picked up epiphones and they sound amazing. Phenomenal. Call, and you're like, this sounds great. Like what uh -huh. an amazing set of pickups, the whole deal. Yeah. And I've had a Gibson's and I you know in the shop and stuff, and go, oh, that sounds really yeah. crap. You know, right. it's just not nice at all. Mm -hmm. But someone else might love it. 
you know, yeah. and it depends how they play. They got a lot of gain, distortion, whatever they got going on, you know, with their rig. But I, I just think, you know, pickups are the one thing. Don't ask me. <laughs> just buy a quality set. Like I always say, look, buy a quality set of pickups. There is a difference. There's going to be a difference in the quality, the, the workmanship. It should sound more consistent, you know, and more reliable in that sense. But as far as the tone goes, that I, I can't, I can't tell you. You know, it reminds me. Uh, you know, we're talking about Fender Gibson, the basic root guitars, and how right. relatively easy. It, it, there's a parallel between what we do and a car mechanic. They love Fords and Chevys. They're easy to work on. You pop the hood. I know exactly what to expect. And then there are those guys that, hey, I'd really like to get some more horsepower or some more rims. Different yeah. rims will improve the. Yeah. It, there's there's such a parallel. It's 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 humorous. No, no, absolutely. You can car lovers and guitar lovers probably the same thing, right? <laughs> and we run into the yeah. And then now that we're talking about pickups, you run into the well. If you're going to do that mod, you need to make sure the pots on the guitar will be able to handle the pickup. Yeah. It, and and having this conversation with the client, here's what to expect. You know, it's uh, here's here's the prognosis. If you're going to do or calling them up later saying, guess what I found? This is going to cost you more or not. Yeah. Yada, yada. There's so many parallels. It's, it's humorous. Well, I just found, I just did a, um, a modification, if you will, a change on a Squire telly that actually one of my bandmates uh, brought into me. And uh, he bought it online, you know, used somewhere. And uh, it's a nice guitar, nice cream colored <laughs> telly. It'll be in a video in the next few days or whatever. But uh, he said, you know, what should I do with this? You know, and I said, well, you know, it's a Squire. So mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. It's relatively mm -hmm. new. I said, but, you know, you change the pots, you know, put CTS pots in, you know, put a better, you know, put an orange drop capacitor in there, you know, uh, switchcraft output jack, do some relatively inexpensive things mm -hmm. to make it better functionally. You yeah. know that that's not going to be a problem, right? Okay. <laughs> and then if you don't like the pickups, or you want to try new pickups, well, then get new pickups, right? And put new pickups and get some fender pickups. The next inevitable step. Yeah, and then if you want to change the tuners or you don't or, you know. But, you know, again, the setup's the most important thing of any guitar, of course, right? The playability of the guitar is more important, I think, than the electronics and the pickups themselves. True, true, true. true. Neck plays, if it's set. Like we said right at the beginning, right? When you have the action that's so high, and mm -hmm. you don't know, you just muscle through it and you think that's what it is to play mm -hmm. bass, to play guitar. Mm -hmm. And then you get a guitar that's set up well and you go, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the one thing I always tell new, um, you know, aspiring musicians, young people who are getting guitars. I get a lot of, you know, people, who, you know, their, their parents have bought them a new guitar for Christmas or for their birthday and they come in and do a setup for me. And I'm always looking at it, especially acoustics big heavy gauge strings on them you know they're young people uh, you know, could be young girls young boys and they just don't have the strength to play these guitars and then they try for two weeks and then it sits in the corner right so yeah i always tell people is oh, i'm going to put really light gauge strings you know extra light gauge strings on this sure. acoustic and then sure. work your way up when you get finger strength and that and you know eventually you might get to 12s as an example on an acoustic mm -hmm. Start mm -hmm. at tens or elevens at least, and then see how it goes. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the same with electric. I actually, tell people a lot of times too to actually start playing electric first, then go to acoustic because it's actually easier to play. Right? Well, that's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah, it's a little easier to pick up. Yeah. 
Steve, what's your favorite tool in your toolbox? Do you have there like for me, Stumac came out with the um, with the uh, fret kisser. And yes, yes, it, I saw that. Yeah, it's such an amazing. You don't product. have to move the strings, right? You already remove anything. You just it sort of slides under the string. Is that if I remember? Uh, yeah, yeah, it looks like a fret rocker, but it's got right. the diamond. You know, just to right. hit that one fret, and it's level on the frets on both sides. It's the coolest tool, yeah. and it's it's genius. And and I, and I have to say, I'm a geek for Stumac. They, it's you know. Well, it's a candy store. Come on. It's a candy Absolutely. Store. And when you go shopping there, you're like, oh, I need this and I need that. And you start filling up your cart. But what 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 would be your favorite tool? Well, I wish I lived in the States for Stumac alone because uh, the Canadian exchange and then shipping sometimes oh, makes a tool expensive. So usually when I buy something from Stumac, I end up buying a lot because <laughs> sure. I just want it all to come in yeah. one sh shot, right? Um, you know what? My favorite tool, honestly, is got to be a digital caliper. Just oh, yeah, that is the one tool I use the most yeah. in the shop. Yeah, and for anything, not just guitar work, just anything. I'm always you're always measuring something. What's the diameter of this screw, this bolt? You know, the depth of a pickup route or a neck pocket. Uh, oh, the ferrules. What's the size of the ferrules? You know, like I'm picking that thing up. Yeah. Put it down constantly. Yeah. yeah. Constantly. And, and I love that response. It's such a nerd response because when I when I got and I've always hated math. And when <laughs> I got into this, I was like, Jesus Christ, there's way more math than I ever would have. Exactly. So you have to embrace the measurements and you and oh, yeah. measurements. Yeah. Well, on digital calipers, I mean, that's the one thing I would say to anyone. The first thing to get, get yourself a set of digital calipers. Absolutely. With the, string depth, with the string depth thing. Well, that's, yeah, Stumac has got that version, which I yeah. saw, which was really cool. Again, because yeah. of the cost difference and all that, I was like, oh, I'll wait around and see if I get that. But I actually modified my digital calipers oh. to do the same thing. And oh, I put a little cool. notch in the jaws so you can measure the, like when you put a fret, you can put a fret in the jaws. Yeah, notch. You know, the tang will sit in the notch, and then you oh, can smart tight, right? So I just did that with a Dremel tool, uh, but you know, I modified my own, and I love modifying my my own tools, making my own tools. I mean, that's one of my things, right? And Guitar Garage Talk is brought to you by YourGuitarMechanic.com. Setups, repairs, restrings, and more. Whatever your guitar or bass needs, we can get it done. Offering pickup and delivery service in the greater Charlotte, North Carolina area. YourGuitarMechanic.com Now, back to the program. Um, I always... Well, Steve, then I have to ask that, and that naturally leads into when I went to your website, you have one product in your shop, <laughs> and it's those feeler gauges or... Yeah, so there's well, they're string and pickup height gauges. They're basically yeah. brass rods uh, that are sized in sixty fourths. You know, so three, four, five, and six sixty fourths for the guitar and basses. And then I have a, a pickup height one, which has a one eighth and a three thirty second or a six sixty fourth uh, brass rod. So they're bent, you know, in an L shape. And why I have that is because looking at a ruler you know like you're flipping up the guitar you're measuring the height you're back and forth i just found it difficult to do i have a magnifier you know that i bring down and i look at and all this yeah, yeah. And i say well you know why don't i just put okay there must be some sort of feeler gauge or something that i can do 
And I saw someone online who was using like little hex keys, basically, right? Hex okay. keys of you know, like a three sixty fourth or five sixty fourth hex key, and he was measuring stuff. And I said, "Oh, well, that makes sense." But I said, "Hex keys are metallic, so if you do it on pickup, of course, it's going to mm -hmm. stick on there." Mm -hmm. um, so I just made them out of brass. So I made myself a set. You know, I did a few versions of them. I made myself a set, and for you know a couple of years, I'm using them, and I had all kinds of comments, right? Like, hey, where do you get those feeler gauges? How can yeah. I get some of those? And I saw I make them myself. You know, I, I made them myself. So my daughter, actually, uh, Georgia, she um, last summer she says, you know, Dad, you should just make these and sell them. And I said, uh, yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work, you know. I said, okay. <laughs> so if you help me, I will make a set you know like a like a lot of them let's say like 30 or 40 sets and see you know if they sell so i said yeah so we we spent a couple of weeks and i designed you know redesigned tweaked a little bit we figured out how we were going to make them in sort of a production sort of setup cool. cool. and uh we did we made about 50 sets we sold 45 of them in like wow. two hours like once wow. i put them online wow. and yeah it just it just flew out and uh, so you know i've been making 10, 12 sets a week, you know, just uh, keep going. And that's probably about how many I sell right now, 10, 12 sets a week. So I like that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. I like making tools, you know, like it's, I've got so many one task tools that I've made, right? And jigs one and task, like yeah. Well, you, you got to do it and it's like, okay, let me make it. I might use it again, you know, who knows? Sure, absolutely. This makes it easier or more stable sometimes, you know, it's just easier to, to replicate. And uh, I just, I enjoy doing that. It's part of my woodworking sort of jig making thing, you know, like it, it satisfies me almost as much making a jig, right. than actually doing the project. <laughs> solving the, solving the puzzles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Is there a tool that it's in the works that you might want to develop next? Or uh, I, I'm sort of thinking of uh, something to align uh, tuning machines. Uh, easier okay and i think that that might be so something like on, a, on a six up kind of a yeah seven. mostly on a six up right the three okay. plus three a little harder to come up with a jig you can do a jig for that but more like on a fender style inline uh, very simple again always keeping it simple right mm -hmm. not making it difficult at all mm -hmm. i will on this podcast uh have a link to that tool on your on your site it's, oh that's great it's ingenious okay. and i and i thought it would you know, when I first saw your videos, I didn't know about the tool. And I'm like, what the heck is he? That's, look at that. How clever. And then I went to your site and went, sure enough, he makes those, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's definitely, uh, you know, I won't say like a passion. It's just fun, right? I, I, I love that problem solving. And, you know, growing up, I, you know, don't want to say, like, oh, I didn't have a lot of money. Couldn't buy anything you want, all that kind of stuff. I always made stuff, you know, I'd always make things that I couldn't afford, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> now that I can afford all this stuff, I still make stuff because <laughs> it's, it's, it's it, because it's so much fun. Yeah. yeah and like you say, like Stumac is such a great place, right? I mean, it's it's perfect for us guitar techs and anyone, luthiers, uh, anyone who's interested in guitars. Um, everything's there. You know, and most of the stuff you're looking for has already been thought out, right? And they've got something for it, right? So yeah. And the, I guess the problem there is that if you're if you're a, a hobbyist and you're not doing this like you do this, you know, full time, you've got a proper business and all that. That's a tool for your business, right? It helps mm -hmm. you do your work efficiently, yeah. quickly, properly. 
But if you're just someone who is a hobbyist who occasionally works on guitars or things, mm -hmm. to go out and spend $95, you know, on a, a specific tool that you might only use once. Yeah. You know, that's where I always look at the value in the tool. I say, well, yeah, it's worth that 90 bucks, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm going to use it a lot. I know I'm going to use it, so I'll buy it, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm only going to use it once <laughs> or maybe the odd time, yeah. how can I make that? Or how can I make something similar? There you go. Right? There you go. And then that's that's where the mind starts going. And then, oh, here we go. <laughs> and that's why I'm always on eBay searching for Stumac because there's those yes. guys that bought the one-time project, exactly. you know, the giant clamps that are several hundred dollars on <laughs> yeah. Stumac, but this guy's on 50. And you covet them, right? And you're like, oh God, I want those clamps, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know how many, I don't know how many tools I've purchased that I actually haven't even used yet. No, just to have them, yeah. No, yeah. I, it's funny you say that because I probably have five or six things from Stumac that I purchased because I know I'm going to use them in the future. Sure. But I just bought them. They're in the drawers, yeah. and I, you know, they use them once in a while, but that's fine. I, yeah. It's there when I need it. I said, oh, boom, there we go. I grab it and I use it. Yeah, not like I was, I was refretting my Stratocaster, and I got a seven and a quarter uh, block radius block, mm -hmm. and uh, Stumac had a deal on all the radiuses, and I went, eh, I might run into a ten inch radius block something. Yeah. So I just went and bought the whole set, and yeah, I've only used one so far. So yeah, use the sixteen or the twenty ever? Probably not. Right? Oh good. no, no, actually, <laughs> I know. It's, you you got the the seven and a quarter, nine and a half, you know, the twelve. There you go. Exactly. That's that's right. you know, everything else sits there and gets dust for the odd guitar that comes in. Absolutely, especially the so, ones with compound radiuses. You don't want those. Oh, uh, compound radius. <laughs> Well, so well, okay. So being a U.S. customer, and and I feel your pain on ordering from Stumac, a U.S. Mm -hmm. company. Um, I have to say, my complaint would be GraphTech out of Canada. Right. When I when I and because I prefer GraphTech over Bone. Right. Um, it's so much easier to work with. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm a vegan, so it's a great product for vegans. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm proud of that. Yeah. It takes literally, and I I I recommend it to all my customers. But I tell them it's going to be a couple of weeks because it takes a long time for this company to to get that product down here. Right. So I I, I feel the pain of the wait. Yeah, and we have some companies. Uh, there's one solo music solo music. Sorry, uh, in Toronto, um, which is about a four hour drive from my house. Um, they they're full of luthier and tech oh. parts and everything. They're great. Uh, but again, dot com. Yeah, solo music gear i think if i'm not mistaken here uh, i can just look it up quickly as we talk yeah solo music gear.com okay and they're a great company they ship to the u.s you know they ship all over and uh you know to be honest uh, you might actually find better pricing <laughs> if you go to them good to because know of the canadian exchange etc mm -hmm. um so you check them out solo music's really not sponsored it's just yeah. uh, it's just a good company. I also have one here in in Ottawa, Next Gen Guitars. Next Gen. Oh, I, I do know Next Gen. I didn't know that was out of Ottawa. Yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, literally twenty minutes from my house. So I usually go to them first online because okay. they're an online sort of pickup place. You can order online and then you can go pick it up, or they nice. can ship it to you. Okay. But I'll go to them first for parts, and if they don't have what I'm looking for, I'll go to Solo. And then I'll go to Amazon or something after that. Right? I, I try and I mean Amazon's a great place for parts and that. If you know you can find some brand name stuff, of course. Yeah, yeah. Or off brand, like Music Lily. You know that's that's not a bad spot for some some Good things. Point. 
Yeah. No. And you know what? I'm not a snob in that sense that uh, you have to have the whatever Grover tuners or you mm -hmm. know the, the latest hip shot sort of thing out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Wilkinson makes great products. You know, Absolutely. they're well designed. Like I never shy away from Wilkinson product at all. And I always recommend it to people. You know, it's certainly if they're looking to do an upgrade on a Squire or something like that or Epiphone. You know, no reason to go out and spend a hundred dollars, you know, on a set of Grovers when the Wilkinson tuners for fifty dollars or forty bucks. Do you have a recommendation for? I, I, I'm diving into creating my own telly. Okay. And I found a guy in Florida that was selling really beautiful bodies uh, that he routes for you. Uh, I threw him a curve because I want a double humbucker. Okay. Uh, yeah. Layout. Yeah. And. Uh, he gave me, he had this piece of black limba that he got from a local supplier and it's gorgeous. The grain on it is wow. Right. But um, I've got all the parts. I'm going to do all black hardware, uh, but I'm obviously looking at necks. Warmoth, um, come to find out, has a create your own neck yep. uh, website, which is just phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You can do anything on it. Yeah, I know. You're looking at a $400 piece of wood. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but you spec that out to what you want. Every That's profile it. you want, uh, absolutely. Scale Where length, the truss and, rod yeah. starts, and because oh, I'm yeah. a headstock truss rod guy. But yeah. would you have any uh, recommendations for a a telly style neck with a rosewood fingerboard? Yeah, I mean, other than looking at an actual fender neck, right? Like uh, yeah. buying a fender licensed neck, or because yeah, most of the ones you can buy are made in Mexico. Mm -hmm. the, the fender replacement necks which are very good but you know that's that's the route you would go there but warmoth really i mean they sort of corner the market your, really, go to place yeah, i would definitely go to them because just because of the uh it's what they do well it's what they do uh, yeah i'm just trying to think of the the infinite <laughs> variations right that you can customize what you want mm -hmm. exactly right so and they have that cool uh trust rod uh, on the side of the heel block. Have you seen that? That's one of the options you can have as well. So how does that work? Well, it's it's like I guess it's a it's like a screw, right? That goes in like an auger screw almost. Okay. And it uh, so you can act you access it right from the side of the heel block. So where your cutaway would be, you know, on the left hand on a right hand guitar, huh. it's right there. And so that's huh. where the truss rod adjustment is. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, so that's one of the options they have there too. Instead of having it at the top of the headstock. Yeah. You don't see that in any on any production guitars. No, no, that's that that's their thing. Like they they do that, so that's it's exclusive cool. to them. So I mean, check it out. I mean, I've never seen one in person, so I mm -hmm. I'm not sure how it functions. Is is it does it function as well as a regular truss rod? Yeah. Anything's better than a truss rod in the heel. In oh the no, I can't. That's just oh. the worst design. I don't know why. That's the one thing Leo Fender got wrong. I didn't want to say it, but yes. Uh, having to Originally. take off your neck off of your Stratocaster just to get to the truss rod is Well, and he fixed awful. it, right, by putting he it did. up in the headstock. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. so why they still make these bloody guitars with heel, you know, heel adjustments. And, you know, I know it's a whole vintage thing, right? Everyone wants yeah. the vintage. But, you know, some vintage stuff wasn't good. That's right. So you shouldn't reproduce that, right? If you That's really want a vintage good. guitar, go buy one, like an old one. If you can then, afford there you it. go. Don't exactly. make a new one like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I made a video, I think one of my early videos was like that. You know, like the stupidest things on guitars, you know, like here's number one. <laughs> Trust okay. me. Well, I got to check that one out. No, it's just a, a short little video, but just like really, 
why don't you do totally that? Totally relate. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, as a tech, right? You're just like, oh my God, really? I got to take that pick guard off. I have to adjust it, put it all back. You're like, oh, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a puzzle I don't feel like solving. No. And nobody yeah. wants you to route a hole for it either, right? An access hole. Ooh, Every time no. I said, oh, let, let me route this access hole for you if you want, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't want to change that. And well, this isn't a $4,000 guitar. It's a, you know, $600 Squire Affinity you picked up or something, you know, like, what's the problem? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, I want to leave it like that. Okay. <laughs> I'm the one who has to adjust the trust rod, not you. So <laughs> that's why I want that hole there. <laughs> And and one of the, one of the features that I really do like on on some guitars on Stratocasters is the uh, the tilt adjustment yeah. option through the yeah. plate. Uh, it's such a cool feature because I recently had to shim uh, mm. the neck on my '86 Japanese Stratocaster, right? Uh, and shimming it wasn't a problem. You know, Stumac had some nice thin, sh you know, and it worked. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, the first one worked, so I didn't have to keep pulling off the neck and putting yeah. a new one in. Yeah. But um, I'd love to figure out a way to get a tilt adjustment route. Um, but I just have this feeling it, I'd have to line it up mathematically. I'm probably going to have to do that that drill myself um, mm -hmm. because I can't trust someone. You know, I'd have to get the specs for them. I'd have to line up just right. Yeah. But uh, that's a cool feature. I've always liked that well, feature. It's interesting because uh, when I started doing, uh, you know, a lot of tech stuff and repairs four or five years ago, that was like a big problem. I was shimming like every second neck that came in, every second guitar, bass and and guitar, electric guitars. Wow! I'm like, what's going on with this? But recently, I I don't think I've shimmed a neck in two years. Like, mm -hmm. it, so I think it. And you mentioned '86, right? That was an '86 guitar. Yes, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the quality control coming from especially overseas manufacturers these days you know indonesia actually makes great guitars oh like absolutely beautiful much better than china i find although china mm -hmm. can make good guitars if they want to mm -hmm. uh, indonesia makes really good guitars i never usually have a problem with them yeah. korean guitars and japanese ones are always always mm -hmm. good as well mm -hmm. but the quality control coming out of overseas manufacturers now is so good yeah you know, Squires and Epiphones and other sort of lesser brands are, you know, like, I don't have problems like I used to have. I used to, like you said, I used to get a 10 to 12 year old Squire in and it's like, yeah, this thing's unfixable or it's just mm -hmm. so much has to be done to it. Mm -hmm. Epiphones the same. Now you get them in and it's like, wow. Phenomenal. They're better, yeah. They're better sometimes than American made fenders or Mexican made fenders, as an example, or Les Pauls. And you go, wow, you know, like the QC is just so much better. And, you know, again, it's, it's, CNC machinery, it's all kinds of things like that that make it better and more repeatable, and it should be a quality mm -hmm. product in that sense. So mm -hmm. I, I just think that uh, the quality of the guitars is so much better now that local guitars, so domestic, you know, American, Canadian, even Godet is an example here in Canada. Okay. They just have to be better mm -hmm. because the lesser brands are better. A lot better. <laughs> I didn't know Go. I didn't know Godin was a uh, Canadian company. Yeah, they're out of Quebec. I love their yeah. jazz boxes that they that they mm -hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful yeah. guitars. Well, they're they're actually I, I think they're like one of the top five makers in the world, like in volume, because they have many brands that they make and oh. a massive massive guitar maker. Huh. But uh, you know, I think that's where 
these overseas brands are definitely, and even just like, you know, Squire by Fender made in Indonesia or made in China, even uh, the Epiphone's the same thing. They're just so much better than they used to be. And they shouldn't be shied away from. You get people that have this preconceived notion that buying the Fender or the Gibson is the way to go. And it's like, look, if you're starting out, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. literally it, a Squire or an Epiphone will do the job masterfully if you get the well, right. Absolutely. And, you know, I would have said I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago. That's like, true. Literally, even just 10 years ago. But That's the true. boom in guitar making and supply and demand over the last five, six years, maybe through COVID a lot too, right? That right, spike right. there. Uh, their their quality is so much better than it used to be. And they're not as cheap as they used to be too, right? I mean, I, I know like here in We're Canada, pricing. Canadian pricing, like a, a good Epiphone, Les Paul, you know, standard type thing is probably going to reach around the $800 mark now here. Yeah. It, you, they used to be $499 type of right. thing, right? But you got four ninety nine worth of guitar. Mm -hmm. I think even though the price is maybe doubled for an Epiphone, you're getting much more quality. You're maybe getting double the quality out of an Epiphone, and the same goes for the Squires, True. especially when you get into the vintage series and things like that. And then, but Fenders and Gibsons have gone way up, and you right. really aren't getting more for them. You know, well, like that's a good point. In the guitar itself, you're not getting any features or the quality build that you would expect for. Twenty-five hundred dollars or four thousand dollars. Yeah, and and I hate to to divulge another secret. Logging on to eBay to find Stumac products that people bought don't need anymore. Right. Logging on to Reverb.com or Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and finding Squires and Epiphones that people picked up don't want to play guitar anymore and are selling for dirt cheap, thinking it's a dirt cheap guitar. Yeah. Find those nuggets out there. You can. Walk away with really good instruments. Absolutely. And Marketplace is amazing. I mean, Facebook, you know, it's dead to people, except for Marketplace. That's <laughs> right. Like That's Marketplace, true. it's actually, we have a thing called Kijiji up here online. Okay. It's a Canadian okay. used, you know, buy and sell thing. And uh, that for years dominated the online used market, right? But oh. literally in the last two, three years, Facebook Marketplace, that's my go-to. Like I go there searching up guitars, basses, parts, whatever, and I find all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. And I go back on Kijiji, which is still the, a big platform, and no one's posting on there as much. And like Craigslist, it's just fading off into the yeah, camp. yeah, yeah. So marketplace is definitely that's probably their biggest thing now. Facebook, <laughs> it's not it's even true, their, it's keeping their, them alive. That's true. Yeah, our generation. Well, <laughs> well ex exactly, our generation. The kids don't like it. <laughs> yeah, Although they use marketplace. My kids do. They're on there all the time buying stuff. Oh, so. well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> much exactly. to your chagrin. <laughs> so how do you, uh, you know, obviously I, I'd love to get uh, uh, repair specialists opinions on pleck and plecking. Mm. I've personally had two guitars plecked. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure because they were from Sweetwater. Like your and, own guitars? I'm sorry? Your own guitars you had? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, well, one of them was a very expensive Taylor acoustic. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't in the repair realm on acoustics. Right. Uh, it, it seems such a more fragile instrument mm -hmm. to do stuff mm -hmm. to. So yeah. I opted for a plaque on a $3,000 tailor. Right. Um, so I'm not sure if I would have gotten it if I couldn't have done the stuff myself now. Um, well, so what do they charge? Like, is it $200 or for? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for $200 for a $3,000 guitar, 
yeah it's very reasonable if you brought it to a tech to do a fret leveling job and right. crowning and stuff right so it's, yeah. it's in the realm yeah right and and thankfully uh in in our defense the plec can only do so much mm -hmm. you know i mean our i think our line of work will always be there yep. there are there are so many different anomalies on repairs and and setups that you know plec is a wonderful device but again is it uh, it's not gonna it's not like ai is gonna walk mm -hmm. away stealing our jobs no, no. You know? um but uh i don't think when it comes to the industry changing i uh you know it maybe part of that question would be the resources available to us mm -hmm. I, I mean if i would have asked this 20 years ago how is the industry changing uh the, the it would have a much different answer because guys like er, you know like we mentioned Irwine earlier how did luthiers and techs do it back then? Uh, it's just, it's phenomenal, the resources that we have available to us now. I mean, half, I told my wife the other day, half the fun is, uh, you know, if this screw is missing on this pickup or whatever it could be, uh, it's just so much fun going out there going, oh, let me see if I can find that. Yeah. And, and sure enough, someone has it somewhere. Yeah. And Reverb.com is one of my favorite shopping destinations. Right, right. You'll find battery packs for acoustic guitars, equalizers for acoustic guitars you didn't even think existed. Yeah. But someone has a beat up guitar they wanted to throw away and clever them. They pulled out this usable EQ, posted it on. Parts it all, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. like a car, just like we were talking about. Absolutely. Car, where do you right? find those carburetors and where do you find the, you know, the overhead cam yeah. for a 67 Mustang and yeah, well, because yeah. guitars are still very analog, right? There were That's not the guitar itself, even though you're plugging into very digital equipment these days, yeah. the guitar itself is still an analog creature. So you do need parts, you know, you need brakes, you need tires, you need, you know, shocks. That's, right. that's the same thing with a guitar. So I think that's not going to change for sure, right? There's no digitizing of a guitar, I don't think. And I don't think it would be a good thing <laughs> if you yeah. could even come oh. up with that. Kind. And every guitar that tries that or every manufacturer that tries to introduce some electronic digital component into a guitar, it just fails, sure right? Lived. Yeah. yeah. They're gimmicks. They're just gimmicks because yeah. ultimately the guitar is just an extension of you playing it. So yeah. that's what people want, right? Is I want to be the person providing the input to this Beautiful. device. Then it goes out into the world and that's what it is. Or there's no digital fingers right it's huge that's, that's very true and so that's that's what's not going to change and it feels good to hold a guitar in your hands you know yes, like very tactical, tac yeah, tactical experience super tactile and i tell people that all the time that your guitar you have to play it the guitar yeah. knows when you're playing it a lot because it right. plays better you know guitar that sits on the wall or in a case you pick it up and it always feels strange or foreign to your cold it doesn't feel like it's reacting to you but if you're playing a guitar or like my case a bass every day you pick it up and it just fits right it fits yeah. with you it feels good it feels warm you know you just know that it's going to play for you that's right and you got to do that right and so like i said you, you hide your stuff away in a case or whatever yeah it doesn't like you're you. not doing it justice that's true <laughs> and yeah. it's sad because i have a wall of arch tops and two yeah. strap up in my officers i think i have eight guitars hanging on the wall mm -hmm. and i i kind of treat them like my i can almost hear them going when is the last time you picked me up and <laughs> i can almost hear them saying yeah. why don't you sit down for 15 just 15 I know. minutes i know blow the dust off of me and you know 
But uh, if, if you, Steve, to, to wrap up our interview, and I really greatly appreciate your time. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Um, it, absolutely. And uh, I'm always going to ask these three, this, this question at the end uh, of every interview, okay. uh, whether it's repair specialists or, you know, you have a connection to the guitar and, and bass. There's a connection. And everyone that has a connection with the guitar listens to guitar music. Uh, what three tunes would you put on your Desert Island guitar mixtape, and why? Uh, I knew and I know it's such a question. loaded question for guys <laughs> that, like us that listen to several different genres. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. it's a tough one, but there's you know. Yeah, and again, me being a bass player, I'm a little uh, biased towards bass tunes, but I do love guitar, and you know what I mean. Anything David Gilmore does. Uh, you know, ah, agreed. Like, come on, like it, I, I'm somebody who you know Santana, uh, somebody who can express themselves with the notes he's playing. Ah, yeah, you know it's 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 melodic, you know. So I like melodic uh, leads or just melodic playing. I like that expressiveness that it's almost speaking to you. And I always find that if you remember a guitar solo and can hum it or sing along to it, that's an amazing guitar solo because that's a lyric. It becomes like a vocal. Absolutely. And how many people I know who are not musicians who hum along to amazing guitar solos yeah. in the song? And they do. Friends of mine, people I know, you're at a concert somewhere, a show, and you're they're they know that solo and they're they're humming along they're going they know what they're expecting you know eagles so many great solos with them as well people yeah. know like hotel california right is there you go down you know everyone knows as soon as it starts right it's hotel yeah. california everyone right? connects with it and everyone sing along with the solo and you go if you can find guitarists who do that i find gilmore is amazing very approachable that. playing approachable Sant yeah and santana's the same like you just so much expression coming out of his fingers yeah that you you just want to listen to that solo, and it's not you know it's not a speed solo it's not Right. It's, it's not, not flash. It's yeah, not vegetated. Yeah. All these guys, Satriani, whatever of the day, yeah. all these guys is going along like a million notes a second. Yeah. It's very expressive. I think Clapton to a point has that, you know, like really? a, I, I think he does in a in a more limited way. Sure. And uh I think that Gilmore and Santana he's, or, he's, you know, he's less of an explorer than Gilmore and Santana. Yeah, yeah, he's more into the bluesy and he he, he gets the most out of three notes that I've probably Absolutely. ever heard anyone do, right? He's one yeah. of those guys. You know, Steely Dan, of course, when you get all these great uh, session musicians like Larry Carlton, you know, Skunk Baxter played with them yeah. originally too, right? Like, wow. You know, every time you listen to the guitar solo, you go, that, that's something you listen for, right? It's not just in the background. It's not just, oh, it's a fill. Here's this where they put the guitar solo in. Like, no, I'm listening for the guitar solo as much as I'm listening to the lyrics, Absolutely. as much as I'm listening to the whole melody, the whole song. Absolutely. So I think those are the things that I would definitely, you know, those are the people that I gravitate towards. So if you were to choose then, Steve, say, what's the quintessential Santana? To, uh, I'm a huge Santana fan. I've, yeah. I've seen him live decades apart. Yeah. Uh, the guy played for three hours without a break. Uh, Still good today, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. His, yeah. his uh, blues, uh, his stint in Vegas, his home base now. Uh, my dad actually had a chance to see him last year 
and said it was just a phenomenal show. Wow. And he's not even a Santana fan, and yeah. he was completely blown away. Well, uh, yeah. But if you were to pick, like if I were to pick a Santana tune that really resonates with me, it'd be Incident at Nesherberg. Probably because uh, Abraxas was the first album I ever heard. Right. Of his. And uh, that one today, uh, he he actually does a live version of it on, on a, one of his live albums from the late 70s. And he plays Fool on the Hill while he's while he's riffing in the solo. You hear the Beatles, you hear a Coltrane riff, <laughs> and you hear a, and, and a Miles Davis riff. Right. And and it's just it's one of those palettes for him. It's a it's a blank canvas that he just lets the band do their thing, the groove, and he just starts exploring. Mm -hmm. So I I would say that'd be my quintessential Carlos Santana. Do you have one? Well, you know, I think of the big hits that he had, uh, Evil Ways, Black Magic Woman, but Oye Como Va, ah. that, you know, just the start of that solo, right? Just the first yeah. three notes, just yeah. there's that solo, right? You just yeah. know what's going to happen. Oh, absolutely. And every time I sing along to it, absolutely. <laughs> every time it comes on and I just, I'm waiting for it, right? I just want to hear it. And I yeah. think you'll for him in that sense. So that's the kind of thing that, and he's got a part like that in almost every one of his songs, right? That's they're, true. They're just, his hooks yeah, are just amazing, right? Just so taste, Just tasteful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that expression. It the ear. Yeah, and, it, you know, expressing yourself through your fingertips, you know, yeah. through the guitar, that's just amazing. And oh, some yeah. guitars have that where yeah. they can talk to you with the guitar. Other guitarists are just really good technicians. Yeah. You know, and they sound good, but they, they don't move you the same way. Exactly. And I, I, I'm a guy who prefers fewer notes, you know, and sometimes a sustaining a note is better. You know, just the way you sustain a note and come out of the note into the next note or the next line, it's like, wow, you know, that was so tasteful. And that's because it's that suspense, right? You have that mm -hmm. suspense of listening mm -hmm for what's coming next instead of just being thrown something at you interactive on and on. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like call and response, you know, that whole yeah. thing, right. As you're, as the listener, you're anticipating, okay, okay, what's what's yeah. going to happen. Right. And, and, and it happens and you're surprised or you're comforted or yeah. it feels good. The endorphins, whatever, right? the endorphins start reacting. Yeah. Yeah. When you have too many notes, and I know Eddie Van Halen, so many people love oh. Eddie Van Halen and yeah, you know, it's, you can't deny Eddie was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but that's a different style of playing, right? And he has a lot of expressiveness in his playing, absolutely. Yeah. But it's it's in your face, right? It's it's there. Yeah. And <laughs> that's why I think Jimi Hendrix was the guy who got me to pick up my first electric guitar. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, I have to go here. I have to find out. And, you know, I my first episode is an interview with my uncle out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Right. And uh, he and I are talking about when we were younger and picking up the instrument, it was, they weren't musicians, they were magicians. <laughs> it's, it's, my God, I'm, I don't think I'd ever be able to do that. Um, and uh, it's that uh, that mystique, that mystery, that, that it just, I don't know. And I have to put Brian May up there too. Yeah, no, it's great, great player. You know, just amazing lines. You know who's a, who always interested me, and if you watch any live versions of Chicago, uh, Terry Kath. Terry Kath was incredible. Like, Oh, 25 or 624. Phenomenal. It's a simple song. It's yeah. an interesting tune. But when you watch him play that solo live, especially, the, the recorded version is great. But yeah. the live version, oh. he attacks the guitar. He Abs that tells it. He fights yeah. it. He. It's just like 
oh my god like what is going on here like yeah. it's so good it the the performance you know he's all in like he is all in actually Jimi hendrix mentions him that's um, right he's one of his, his influences saying that, i can't believe the way he plays you know and yeah. like Jimi hendrix said that you know like that's crazy but terry kath is one of the and unfortunately he passed underrated. away i think but uh, underrated yeah, totally underrated. So there, many times like that. Right? You know, there's an interesting documentary, and I think you can find it on YouTube, where Kath's daughter goes out and tries to find the original Telecaster. Oh, I yeah. think it's actually a no-caster, believe it or not. Right, right, right. And uh, it's it's a very – she finds it under some guy's bed in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> no way. It's where it ends up. I know, it's just sad. Yeah, and yeah. It's a completely unplayable condition, was never yeah. taken care of. Was already kind of beat up at the first place. Oh yeah, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. All those outdoor shows back in the early '70s, late '60s, early oh. '70s, just ruined those guitars. <laughs> People <laughs> wouldn't even think of bringing them out now, right? And it's oh. like back then, it's like oh. whatever, right? <laughs> it's amazing they're still functioning as instruments. Sometimes. Oh, for sure. Um, well, so Steve, thank you again for your time. I greatly appreciate it. We covered a lot today. That was awesome. We did. Uh, we it's did a lot great. of fun chatting with you. Uh, you know, someone who's interested in the same things, grew up in the same sort of time period too, and appreciates uh, what we do. And I appreciate what you do. And I love, you know, watching someone who's really interested in keeping guitars, you know, in good shape and playing condition and helping people enjoy the instrument that they have, right? Not to yeah. fight it so much. And right. just realize how expressive these things can be and how they can let you, you know, be an artist. And, you know, you don't have to be Jimi Hendrix or, you know, <laughs> Pat Metheny or anyone like that. But you can sit at home and play with these instruments and really enjoy them. And we're helping them on that journey. And we're helping it feels them good. Every time a client walks away going, my God, this plays way better than I thought. Yeah, it, it is funny. Yeah, you wouldn't think it would be that much, you know, a big deal, but it is a big deal because it makes a big difference in someone's uh, experience, right? So, you know, every time you can help someone out a little bit, right, it just uh, makes life a little better. And how many, how many of those clients have you had that this is my dad's guitar, my grandfather's guitar, and I yep. a lot, right? Yeah. You know, and those are the really satisfactory feelings. Oh, sentimental value, and you're working on them, and you know that they're going to be appreciated and enjoyed again. You know, the next generation is going to have them. I, I just had a, a 1969 Gibson J45 come in the wow. shop. Wow. Pristine, pretty much single owner, bought it in, I think, in 1970. Wow. Um, and owned it right up until he passed away about three months ago. And uh, another person bought it and brought it to me. And it, one of the sad things about it is he wanted to do a bunch of modifications on it. Uh, uh, how to pick up, uh, do this, drill. i like, you know what? I said, no, like, I, I, I won't do that. I mean, if somebody else wants to do it, it's just not a ten dollars or $20,000 guitar or whatever. But it, it's just a piece of history. It was in really, the finish was amazing, crackled beautifully. Like it was just like, wow. And the action was nice. I set it up. It was like low action on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, I, I won't, I won't modify this guitar. Right. I said, you just bought it. Principle. Play it, play it for a while, you know, and yeah. if you really want to put a pickup in it or do something fine, but I, I just, you know, some of the, some of the times you just have to say no. Right. <laughs> and, and well, case in point, this Gibson SG behind me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's one of the things that my, I try and offer my customers is uh, pick up a delivery. 
Right. Yeah, I saw that on your website. Yeah. So far, so good because yeah. no one else is doing that, and there yeah. a lot of customers are really grateful that someone can come out. Yeah. To the outer reaches of the Charlotte greater area. Right. And this guy, case in point, he lives thirty miles away from me, so it's a bit of a drive. But yeah. I, you know, you charge him. But he wanted to put all gold hardware on it, um, and he wanted to do these modifications. And when I went to his house and picked it up and played it, I'm like. This SG is an early 2000. It's in great shape. I'll do the dings and scratches, yes. Yeah. But really, you shouldn't think about leaving it the way it is because it's a yeah. really great guitar. Yeah. So you have to sometimes be the the hard. Proof. Yeah, and I'm not afraid to say no. You know, like uh, I'll just, you know, I, I just don't think it's worth it. And I think, you know, and you know, everyone's got their idea of what they want their guitar to be or look like and yeah. that kind of thing but you just know after you know playing around with guitars for so long and setting them up and repairing them and what's going to work and what's not going to work let it be what should be done and what shouldn't be done right and that's true i'm not afraid to tell people this shouldn't be done and right. i'm not the guy who's going to do it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good call. call patrick <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he'll come pick up your guitar and all. Yeah, he'll come all the way up. That'll be a charge. I'll, I'll charge him <laughs> for that trip. Uh, Manatic Stringworks, uh, Steve Roy. Thank you again, Steve, for your time. I uh, greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to watching your your YouTube channel. Uh, it's uh, you always had a friendly demeanor about your. You know, you get a lot of these texts that have their own YouTube channel, and they kind of have attitude. Like, uh, you won't believe, but here's angry, text. angry text. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Frustrated. All right. Here's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. Here's always been very approachable and friendly. And you, you always had the little chuckle, like, uh, that thing that you <laughs> like do, that. like, <laughs> and, uh, and I always thought it was a very approachable, good YouTube channel for a lot of, uh, you know, tr even if you want to just learn how to set up your own strat. You're, it's a very informative channel for sure. Well, I, I appreciate that, Patrick. Thank you very much. And uh, and I look forward to your development on products uh, coming in the future. I'm going to follow your website. Send me an email, Steve, and let me know. Hey, Patrick, release the whatever tool that you've created. The next inspiration I have there, I'll let you absolutely, know. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Steve, please stay in touch, and uh, thank you again for your time. Have a great right. day. Thanks again, Patrick. Best of Take luck. Take good care. Bye bye. bye. Now.